Exodus 31. So we have spent the last five chapters in Exodus getting a very detailed blueprint on the tabernacle. Uh, In great detail, we've seen God's plan for the tabernacle, what it's supposed to look like, uh, the colors even, and some of the material. And uh, it's been a pretty exhaustive list of stuff for the tabernacle. And now God is going to appoint certain men to take on this task. Now, if you, how many of you are in construction or you work in some sort of you know, physical labor where you use your hands? Okay, so we have a couple guys in here that do that right on. You know, oftentimes, um, I feel like the, those who build and craft and create are overlooked in our culture. But, you know, people like nice things, but they often forget to thank the people who build those nice things, Right? We often do that with the Lord. We see the beautiful things he's created, and then we, we, as human beings throughout all of history, have tended to worship the thing instead of the creator of the thing. Amen? And so uh, if you are somebody who builds things and crafts things, and you're an artist of sorts, um, in, and in every meaning of the word, uh, this text will probably hit home with you tonight. I love this passage. Um, Pastor Michael uh, came up to me Sunday afternoon and, and he said, hey, I think you should teach Wednesday. The text would, I think, be uh, something that you'd resonate with. And I will not lie, as I first read the first 11 verses of Exodus 31, which is what we'll cover tonight, I was kind of like, huh? <laughs> and then as I started studying it a little bit, I was like, wow, this is so amazing. Just the, the detail and the way that God um, just ordains things. So would you read with me? This is Exodus uh, 31. I'm reading from the ESV, and it reads like this. Exodus 31, 1. Uh, the Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Ur, Uri, uh, the son of Hur. Some of these names are tricky, so bear with me. Of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with the ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and carving wood to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, uh, the son of Ahizamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. The tent of meeting, the ark of testimony, and the mercy seat that it is on, and all the furnishings of the tent, verse 8. The table, its utensils, and the pure lampstand with all its utensils, and the altar of incense, verse 9. And the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the basin and its stand. And the finely worked garments, the holy garments of Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sorts for their service as priests and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place. According to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. So God speaks to Moses and he uh, says, hey, I have called some particular men to, I've tasked them with this task. I've, I've, I've skilled them and I've gifted them. And he says in verse two, see, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. So, uh, you know, before we even get into our text, I just think that it's interesting that up until this point, God has given very clear instruction on what things are supposed to look like. But you have to wonder if, if you were Moses receiving this, 
in the back of his human brain, Moses is probably like, how are we going to do this? You know what I mean? Like sometimes maybe when you are, um, how many of you would say self-admittedly, you're not really a visionary person? Like you have a hard time seeing the other side of a project, right? Some of you are like that. And then some of you are more visionary. I'm kind of like that. I can look at, you know, my wife and I, we flipped our first house. We bought it and it was pretty ugly. The whole thing had lime green paint everywhere and it was very 70s. It was pretty rad. No, it was awful. And, um, but when we bought the house, I remember walking in and my wife being like, yikes. And I was like, well, babe, this is what the budget for the Lance household can get us. <laughs> and so we, we bought the house and, uh, you know, she's a bit of a visionary too. Um, but, you know, we, we just, we went for it and we said, we can make this, you know, nice. And over time with, you know, some, you know, craftsmanship and dedication and a little time, love and care, you know, we, we were able to make it look pretty nice. And a couple of years later, we ended up selling it. Um, but you have to have the ability to look at uh, sometimes broken things or maybe not so attractive things, ugly things, and say, this can be made better. And praise God that broken things can be made new and made better because that is your testimony if you've trusted in Jesus Christ. Amen. So he is a God that takes broken things and he makes them new. So we are seeing now God's plan for executing uh, everything that he's laid out in the previous five chapters. And everything that has been laid out has a significance. There's symbolism in a lot of these things, everything from the the flowers and the the precious metals and the types of wood. There's symbolism in all of it. And there's a reason that God has said what he has said. God doesn't speak for no reason. When God speaks, there is a purpose. Uh, God never does anything by accident. Nothing ever catches him by surprise. When God speaks, there's a purpose in it. And you, you need to know that tonight as a Christian, that when God speaks, listen, because he has purpose as he speaks. But the key to hearing God is listening. (laughs) And we are often too quick to speak and to, to move. And God is saying, can you just sit and listen? Scripture says that in James, we are to be what? Slow to speak and quick to listen. We should be people who are listening for the voice of God. And what does it take to listen for the voice of God? Time. It takes time. You have to dedicate time to listen to him speak. And we live in a culture where I think that the most common response to the question, hey, how are you doing, is usually what? Busy. Man, I'm just so busy. I'm fine, but I'm busy. I've said that so many times. I have a very busy schedule. I tend to overbook my schedule. And that's something that the Lord has really convicted me about over the last few years as becoming a husband and now a father that I can't just say yes to everything. And it's hard. If you're wired like some of us more type A personalities, it's hard to say, no, I can't do it. But maybe part of your issue tonight and maybe even an idol in your life And the reason that you might be lacking direction from God is because you're not really listening. You're too busy being busy. I don't know if that, that wasn't in my notes tonight. If that's for you, then maybe you need to take some things off your schedule tonight and make more time for him. Now, if you're here on a midweek, uh, for a midweek service, I, I would like to believe that you value your time in God's word. And, you know, uh, honestly, I, I think Let's call it like it is, church. We've got several hundred people that attend this church, but look at our midweek service. Our culture is so busy. 
with, with extracurricular activities and sporting events. Look, I grew up playing sports. Uh, baseball was a huge part of our lives as kids. And all the way through my young adult years, uh, baseball was uh, uh, so much of our life. And yet still, my father through that was a coach for many of those years. And Sunday leagues just weren't an option. And they won't be an option for my children either. They just won't. In fact, the next section, it's funny, Alex, we were just talking about that. Alex will probably be bringing the word next week. The latter half of chapter 31 is about keeping the Sabbath. And I don't really see much obedience in that area, to be honest. Not with necessarily living truth, but I mean the church at large. Statistics show, Barna polls recently showed that the average professing Christian family or household attends church one out of every five Sundays. Now look, I'm thankful that we're not under the law in that we are not required to um, be at church on Sunday to be in right standings with God. Thank God for his mercy and thank God for the freedom and the liberty that we have in Christ. I'm not condemning someone who has an occasional thing that takes place on a Sunday morning. But what I am saying is I am regularly seeing it practice for parents to put other things ahead of God's word and God's time and the devotion unto him. And the example starts with you in this room. I hold to that largely because my father set that precedent for us as kids. And so it starts with you. If you're not a parent yet, resolve in your heart now that Christ will be first in your life. Because if you can't get it figured out before you have kids, it will just be that much more difficult once you get married and once you have children and once your life uh, changes in that regard. So make him the priority. So maybe you need to be listening more. So Moses is listening. God speaks. And he says in verse two, I have called by name. That's the title of our message tonight. Called by name. Bezalel. And then he says that he's from the tribe of Judah. And then he says this in verse 3. This is the first time we see this language in our Bible. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God. And then he says, with ability and intelligence and with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, and in cutting stones for, this, for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft. So God calls by name Bezalel, and he is a craftsman that will oversee the construction of the tabernacle, its furnishings, and the priestly vestments and robes. And it is mentioned that he's from the tribe of Judah, and God is in, has instructed that only the best materials are to be used for the construction of the tabernacle. And now he is commanding that the best workmanship will be assigned to the actual task of construction. So God is a God, one of the first things that sticks out to me about this text, he is a God of excellence. He wants things done well. There's a lot of lessons for us in that in and of itself. And we'll get to that in a little bit. So he's a God of excellence. And I, I think it's worth noting that I, he, this man that he calls Bezalel is not somebody who's probably totally ignorant to the things of construction and working with his hands, right? He already has skills. 
He's skilled in this area. He's a gifted craftsman. And this is the third time the phrase, and it's in the original language, it is ru'alahim, the spirit of God occurs in scripture. The previous two times are in Genesis 1-2. And Genesis 1-2 says, the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That's the first time we see this word, the spirit of God, ru'alahim. And the second time is in Genesis 41, 38. It says, this is the story of Joseph. This is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. The story of Joseph is a picture of Jesus. You should read Genesis if you have not yet done so. Joseph's life is a beautiful picture of the Messiah to come. And it says in Genesis 41, 38, we see uh, Joseph is interpreting Pharaoh's dreams. And it says in, actually go to 41, 37 if you are there with me. It's, you're not, it's okay. We're just going to be there for a second. And he says this in Genesis uh, 41, 37. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, we can, find a, uh, can we find a man like this in whom the spirit of God, there's that word again, is with him? And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house. And this is uh, a very uh, important moment in Joseph's story where he is now put second in command over the largest nation, the most wealthy nation in the world at this time. And you shall be over my house uh, and uh, all my people shall order themselves as you command. So, so we see the, that phrase two times in scripture in the book of Genesis before we see it used here. But this is the first time that God is saying, I have filled this person with my spirit. Pharaoh doesn't recognize the God of scripture uh, in Genesis. So we, we aren't saying that Pharaoh recognized that the one true God was guiding and leading Joseph. Um, at that point, he's still much in ignorance to that fact. But um, he will later recognize the God of Israel. But so we see now in verse 3 that he has been filled with the Spirit of God, that is, Bezalel. So this is the first time spirit-filled, a spirit-filled man shows up in Scripture in this sense. And I think it's worth noting that it's not a priest or a saintly Moses. No, it's a layperson. It's a construction worker that God chooses to fill with his spirit. Certainly God is leading Moses and uh, this is, but this is the first time we see this type of language being filled with the spirit used in our Bibles. And God called this man Bezalel by name. The filling with the spirit was toward a specific task and a gifting. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit frequently empowered people for special service and he empowered Joshua with leadership skills and wisdom. You can see this in Numbers and Deuteronomy. The Holy Spirit empowered the judges to deliver Israel from their oppressors. So we see this happen a lot, but this is one of the first times we see it and it's, it's very interesting. A little bit of application, I suppose, for you. Uh, the, there's maybe a, a bit of a false or uh, an, an unhealthy expectation that those who are, quote, spirit-filled in our churches today are people who do something like I'm doing right now. But if you have called on Jesus Christ, you are filled with his Holy Spirit. That, that is a, a promise from the mouth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, as he ascended into heaven, he said, I go and prepare a place for you, but as I leave, I give you my spirit. And so don't fall into this misunderstanding that 
the guys that stand up here and lead you somehow have some sort of special tapped in power. No, a life surrendered to Jesus is tapped in power. I've been reading a book recently by uh, A.W. Tozer. It's such a good book, and it's called uh, Spirit-Led Power. And he just talks about the Holy Spirit and how there are so many things that God desires to do in the lives of um, his people, but how often they're hindered by their own um, inability to surrender and to be obedient. You know, he says in that uh, book, I was reading through one of the chapters the night before last, and he says, and I think it's chapter four, Tozer says, um, the Bible knows nothing of faith without obedience. He says there are two sides of the same coin, and if you try to separate them, you ruin the coin entirely. And how many Christians, maybe this is you tonight, you are walking around and you've, you profess Christ, but you, you do not operate in obedience. Now, we don't live under some legalistic system where if you break God's commandments, you're, you are condemned. That's what Jesus paid for at the cross at Calvary. But Paul says in Galatians, should we continue in our sin that grace may abound? And then he says the strongest word in the Greek, no, may it never be. We should want to be obedient and follow God's ordinances out of an honest and true love for him, out of reverence for him. And I know too many Christians who are walking around and they're going through the motions and they confess Christ with their mouth, but nothing in their life looks like a life surrendered and obedient. And it is a plague amongst our churches. We have men and women in spots of leadership in the church who are saying that they, they say one thing with their mouth, but their conduct says something entirely different. And oftentimes the root issue is, is a life that is not surrendered to Christ. Now, I certainly hope that the individuals who are leading churches are filled with God's spirit. Gosh, I hope so. But it would be a mistake for us to assume that somehow these people have um, some sort of greater ability to know who God is. You, friend, the veil has been torn. You have open access to a heavenly father who wants to speak and move in your life and fill you with his spirit. But will you surrender? And so we see this very cool and amazing thing take place here in the text that it says that he is filled with God's spirit. You know, we as believers have received God's spirit. That means that in all our endeavors, when your desires are to honor Christ, in endeavors where your desire is to honor Christ, particularly using the skills that God has given you, he will bless the things that you put your hands to. Isn't that amazing? That when you align your desires with Christ, he will bless the things that you put your hands to. Now, does that mean you're gonna be rich? No. Does it mean that you're gonna have a lot of really nice stuff? Not necessarily. But the things that we pursue are way beyond the treasures of this world. And so I pray that tonight, as you are pursuing different things in the midst of your endeavors, that you would honestly and constantly be asking Christ to align your heart with his. And then what you put your hands to will be blessed. I, I can speak to this from my own life. I have had many seasons of my life where maybe I've, 
I've had my own selfish motivations and desires for things, and those things fall flat. They don't, they don't pan out. In fact, baseball was one of those things. I was a decent baseball player. I thought that I'd play through college, and um, you know, like every high school player, you think, I'm going to go pro. But there was really no true motivation in that to honor Christ. I mean, I was a committed Christian, but that endeavor in and of itself, God had been leading me in a different direction towards ministry throughout all my high school years. And I just kind of left that on the back burner in my pursuits of more worldly things. And that's not to say that pursuing um, successful careers and stuff is sinful inherently, but make sure that Christ is at the center of your pursuits and then they will be blessed. And thank God that he's a God that desires to bless us. You know, there's this oftentimes false understanding from especially the world, but even those in the church, that God is some sort of you know, righteous figure that sits on a throne in heaven and all he does is condemn and judge. But he, you know, Pastor Chuck Smith used to say this a lot, that God is a God who desires to bless his people. He wants to pour out blessings in your life. But the prosperity that God offers is much different than what the world offers. And I will tell you, beware of pastors who promise you financial prosperity in the name of Jesus, because oftentimes it's not the case. In fact, I look at the rich young ruler, and Jesus himself said, oh, how difficult it is for a rich man to inherit the kingdom of heaven. I think that there are many people walking around that God knows they couldn't handle money if they had a bunch of it, so he doesn't give it to them because it would be to their downfall, to their detriment. And so if you're not rich tonight, I'm right there with you. <laughs> and it doesn't matter. God is not concerned with those things. Now, now, don't be irresponsible with your money. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, of course, honor God in how you manage your funds. But don't chase after the lies of prosperity because it's, it's just that, it's a lie. And so... We know that this idea of servanthood is exemplified even in Christ, right? So we see that uh, Beziel is called, and now we see that he is going to serve. He's going to serve. Mark 10, 45, a verse that many of you probably know, uh, we know Scripture says that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So God appoints men who are already gifted. Uh, we see this here with Bezalel. And he's gifted in this, in this type of work. And now he's filled with the Spirit of God, a special filling from Yahweh. And now, uh, to the non-believer, this might sound rather odd, right? Even to Christians, isn't the idea that God gives us his Spirit pretty crazy? I don't know about you, but I don't totally understand that. <laughs> and I'm not going to, for a second, stand up here and tell you that um, I totally understand how this works. In fact, Scripture makes it clear that when we receive God's Spirit, we receive it by what? By faith. Faith is the assurance of things not yet seen. There are aspects of my faith as a believer in Jesus that I don't understand. I don't understand how I can stand up here as a flawed man and the, in the position of a worship music director here, and somehow God blesses what I'm doing to speak to the church. I don't get that. I don't deserve to be in a position of leadership in that way. I'm not worthy, but Christ works in spite of us. And, and the same thing is true for you. When you go out and you start speaking the truth of the gospel into somebody's life, God works in spite of all of your mistakes and your shortcomings and your failures and desires to see his kingdom built. 
And so praise God that he works even in spite of us. And so we see that a servant, this idea of being a servant is permeated in our text here because these men and the women who are gonna step up to build this and construct this tabernacle, uh, they're gonna serve from a heart of gratitude. What an honor it is to be called by the Lord to work in this way. And the same thing is true for you and I today. It is a privilege and an honor to be called to be servants of the Most High King. And it says in Acts 2.38, speaking of receiving God's Spirit, Acts 2.38, this is a verse some of you may know well. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Notice that there is a call on men to take action. You have to repent. Did you know that? Did you know that Christ cannot repent for you? He can't do it for you because then it's not true repentance. I can't repent for you either. Can you imagine if somebody wronged you and then I came alongside them in the situation and you're very angry at that person and I said, hey man, I just want you to know I'm really sorry for him. <laughs> Does that mean anything to you? That means nothing because the apology that is owed is to come from the one who's in the wrong. I think that scripture teaches this very plainly, that you have to repent. You have to do it. I can't do it for you. Christ can't do it for you. Oh yes, certainly, Christ made a way at the cross. When his blood was shed, the veil was torn and he opened up the door for you to be made right. But you, if, if you are drowning and somebody throws you a life preserver, you still have to choose to grab on to the life preserver, right? You can choose not to save yourself in that sense, but you're not saving yourself at all. You're simply grabbing on to the one who is offering you a way of escape. Does that make sense? Now, you would not get off the uh, boat after that tragedy almost happened and be like, I saved myself. <laughs> I did it. It was me. No, no. You would be forever indebted to the person who threw that life preserver to you and said, grab a hold, you're gonna die. And the same thing is true for us. But we must take an action. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, each one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit, it truly is a gift. Ephesians 1.13 is another example we could turn to. Ephesians 1.13 says this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, that is God's holy word, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It is a gift to receive the Holy Spirit. And again, I can't explain to you how this all works but I believe it's true. And sometimes that's what faith is. Now, does it mean that our faith as believers is some sort of illogical, irrational thing? Most certainly not. In fact, the more studying I've done in my not so many years of ministry, I'm, you know, I've been doing this for a little while, but it's like every time I study, the things that I believed are affirmed further. And praise God for that, that he is a God of science and reason and logic, and these things confirm our Bibles. So we receive God's spirit by faith, and Paul teaches this clearly in Galatians chapter three as well. 
Sometimes, to be sure, when the Spirit fills a human life, he gives new gifts and abilities. But more often than not, as we are going to see here with uh, Bezalel, um, he uses gifts that are already present. And I love this. This is from one of the commentaries I was reading through. He takes the gifts that are already present and he refocuses them and redirects them in the ways of his choosing. So I could give you an example. Maybe, um, actually, Pastor Michael is a great example. Pastor Michael uh, was in sales and was pretty successful at sales before he went into the ministry. So he was good at communicating and he was good at speaking with people. And then when he became a Christian, the pursuits of the old man after money and success in the corporate world, God redeemed his already present gifts to communicate and speak for his kingdom. And you and I have been beneficiaries of those giftings that God has put in him. Amen? His ability to communicate the word of God is excellent. And God has taken, in the same way he can do that in your life, he takes giftings that he's given you from the day you were born. And he says, I want to use these giftings for my purposes and for my kingdom. And so he redirects and he refocuses our giftings. Um, you know, here's another example. I, I think it'd be highly unlikely to say that when uh, the Spirit of God comes mightily upon David in 1 Samuel 16, uh, that the Spirit suddenly gives David the ability to play the lyre before Saul. No, on the contrary, rather, this is a gift given by God, and it was honed in by David through many years of practice, which the Lord is now able to use as David ministers encouragingly to a hurting Saul. Uh, the same goes for Bezalel. Those servants uh, in this area of, had er this area of expertise uh, that he was developing over the years in Egypt uh, as they were slaves. And now the Lord is going to be able to take those gifts and those expertise and use them for the building of the most amazing structure, the tabernacle, and even the Holy of Holies. This is an amazing thought to think that this is how sovereign God is, that while um, these guys that are appointed, I, I keep forgetting how to say their names, I'm sorry, it's just not English, so I'm struggling. <laughs> Bezalel, well, Bezalel is uh, a slave. Think about God's faithfulness in your life and in the lives of these biblical characters. Even while they're enslaved under Egypt and Egyptian rule and they're learning uh, tricks of the trade and how to work with their hands, they don't know it yet at that time, but God is grooming them to be those who will construct the tabernacle. I mean, isn't that amazing? Think about that. Think about in your own life how many times you've been in the midst of something and you have no idea what God is doing and then on the other side of it, maybe even years later, you've experienced God was preparing me for this very thing. It's amazing. I've seen that in my own life where um, I've walked through things and I really have no idea why God would have allowed me to maybe hurt or suffer in a way or have to go through a trial or a hardship. And yet those skills or the things I've learned through his Holy Spirit become useful for his purposes down the road. Because he is faithful and nothing catches him by surprise. He has a purpose in all that he allows. And so uh, Douglas Stewart, in his commentary on Exodus, says this. I thought this was good, so I'll just read it to you. Bezalel is identified by his descendancy from Judah. What is perhaps most significant about Bezalel's family lineage is his being, of a, uh, being a Judaite. In all aspects of tabernacle service and maintenance, Levites were the only persons allowed responsibility. 
They alone could set up, tear down, transport, maintain, or utilize anything pertaining to the tabernacle. But the original construction was another matter. The servants in God's house were chosen by their duty, uh, for their duty by reason of birth lineage. But those who actually built it, as we're seeing here, were chosen because of spiritual gifting. No Judaite would be able to touch anything in the tabernacle once it was constructed. Think about being Bezalel at this time. What an honor. And I don't know if, I don't, we don't see in the text how this unfolds. I don't know if Moses receives this word, and I'm assuming this is what happened. He receives the word, and then he has to go to Bezalel and be like, hey, the Lord spoke to me, and you're the guy. Can you imagine being Bezalel in that moment? You're like, <laughs> you're like me? Me? I'm the guy? And oftentimes, this principle is true in the kingdom of God. The ones who you would least expect are the ones that God wants to use to do the greatest works. In fact, all throughout Scripture, God uses the unexpected to accomplish his purposes. Moses, the guy who's receiving this word, is the reason, the, per, the, the person that God used, maybe not the reason, but he's the person that God used to liberate the Israelites. And do you remember what Moses said when God called him? Me? No, Lord, I, 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 can't, I can't talk. I, not me. Not me. Maybe this guy, but not me. God uses those who feel unqualified. And by, you know, many cases probably are unqualified. Each one of us is unqualified to work for the highest king. And yet we've been qualified through the blood of Jesus. And so Bezalel is a skilled craftsman. And now he's filled with God's spirit to guide him and aid him as he heads up the construction of the tabernacle. You know, there are many talented people. Lots of talented people. But those who will make an eternal impact for the kingdom of God are those who are filled and led by his Holy Spirit. Talent is not the end-all, be-all. Just in this room, there's tons of talent in different areas, tons of expertise and knowledge. But if Christ is not the one who leads you in those pursuits, they, they don't mean anything. And that might sound harsh, but it's just the truth that you can build this, the, the, the treasures of this world and store them up, but they're not going with you. And the legacy that you leave behind should be Jesus. So forsake the other pursuits, friends, because they're just not worth it. You might be the talented, most talented person in this room, but if your pursuits are not in line with God's purposes, what kingdom are you building? Your own or are you building his? You know, I think it's worth noting that uh, this idea, the, the meaning of being filled with the Spirit here obviates any notion that Bezalel experienced this new covenant phenomenon. Uh, that is, the filling of the Spirit is different than what you and I now have because Christ has not yet atoned for the sins of man. So there is a distinction to be made. Um, I could probably teach a whole sermon on that, so I won't get into that too much, but I think it's worth noting that there is a, a difference um, the Holy Spirit far earlier 
it, it, the, the way that the filling works um, is just different because the atonement for man's sins has not yet come through the finished work of the cross. And so there are, there's a difference. And so I think it's worth knowing that. Um, I love this too. God could have built the tabernacle by himself. <laughs> Did he need men to do it? Like God could have just been like, and it would have been like the most beautiful thing you've ever laid your eyes on. God, in his grace, allows us to be used by him. <laughs> it, it just sounds so backwards. But you can't do anything good outside of him. And neither can I. And that's why I keep saying this, that if your pursuits are outside of him, it's vanity. And so I love this idea that God has no need of man. And we must understand that. That's a fundamental, uh, fundamental truth of our uh, you know, salvation. We must understand that Christ didn't need us, right? But he desired for us to be reconciled to him, so he made a way through the cross. But he didn't need us. God is perfect, which means he doesn't need anything outside of himself to be complete. And so what that does and what that should do for you is uh, pursue a resounding reality of how gracious and loving God is. Because when Adam and Eve fall in the garden and the, the, the separation between you and I, man and God, is created... God could have said, all right, you had your chance. I plainly told you not to do that, and you did it anyway. Good luck. But in his grace and in his mercy, he made a way. He made a way. Praise him for his faithfulness and his grace that he made a way. So as we see this unfolding and God is calling Bezalel and these other guys, Ohiab and other, others who aren't even named, what an honor it is. And what, what it is a testimony to God's love and his grace that he wants to give these guys the opportunity to be used. And see, it's crazy because as you serve Christ in the different areas that he's gifted you, it's not only a blessing to others, it blesses you in return. In fact, scripture says that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And I have found that to be true in my own life. Um, you know, I've shared this before. There are certainly Sundays where I show up here and I don't really feel like being here in my humanity. I'd like to go home and sleep for a few more hours, especially because our daughter's teething right now and it feels like the, the teeth just keep coming. I think, how many teeth does a human have? I'm losing count. And so we don't sleep and there's Sunday mornings where I come here and I'm like, I'm exhausted and I want to go home. And then I do my best in my brokenness to align my heart with the desires of our Heavenly Father. And then when I serve, by the end of a Sunday, I'm usually filled again with His Spirit. And I've been blessed, even though I didn't do anything to deserve it. 
because that's how good and gracious our Heavenly Father is. So when the next time you're tasked with something or God is clearly calling you to do something to help somebody, don't view it as an obligation or a burden, but instead say, okay, I'm gonna bless somebody else's heart and bless the Lord in being faithful. And whatever I get out of it is just icing on the cake, if you will, because I've been called to be obedient and to be a servant. And so we see in verse six, as we continue in Exodus 31, and behold, I have appointed with him. So now we see another man brought into the picture. This is Ohiab, the son of Ahizamak of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men. So there, we know there's, there's more that are gonna help with this process. Obviously, it's a big undertaking for just two guys. There's gonna be women involved too with the making of these garments. And I think that's worth noting that um, Ohiab and uh, Bezalel, they have the expertise to kind of be the quality control but they're not gonna do everything on their own. They're gonna have assistance and they are also gifted. So they'll be able to kind of be the, you know, we had this, I worked at In-N-Out Burger for a long time and we had quality control that would come in. Um, In-N-Out is very clean, by the way. You can eat there with the utmost confidence. It's, it, they go above and beyond. It's kind of crazy how much effort goes into keeping everything sanitary and clean. As an employee, it's rather annoying because <laughs> you're just constantly cleaning and it just never stops. But I remember it was always like older, really sweet guys that would come in. They've been with the company for like 40 years and they come in and they're like, quality control. And you know, like you're so scared of them, but they're like the sweetest guy. Cause you know that if, and the company has high standards. And so you know that if something is unclean or not right, you're it's going to get checked off. That's kind of what, um, that's a part of the role that God is assigning to these men is they're going to be making sure that everything is at the highest standard. It's in line with God's standard that he's set for the last five chapters. And God has high standards for the construction of this tabernacle. And the, really, the filling of the Spirit is for this purpose, so that when the tabernacle is completed, it will be as if God himself made it. And so God has given these men, filled them with his Spirit, and now they're going to execute the plan that God has laid out. Uh, continuing in verse 7, the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat that is on it, and he goes through this exhaustive list of all the things they're going to build. And if you're um, you know, maybe Bezalel, you're, you're looking at this list of everything God's laid out to Moses in the last five chapters. Of course, you're not seeing them as chapters at this time, but you're seeing this list from the Lord and you're like, holy moly, this is a huge undertaking. But God fills him with his spirit. Application. Where God leads, he provides. Or as some have said, where God guides, he provides. The safest place for you to be is in the center of God's will. So whatever that means, if that means that you have to make sacrifices, the best place for you to be will be making those sacrifices. If that means that you need to take on new burdens and new tasks, new responsibilities, that means that if that's what God's will is for your life, then that is the best place for you to be. Far too many Christians claim Christ and then they do everything according to their own will. You know, when I was a college student, it was, uh, the, it's the question for every college student. What is God's will for my life, right? Some of you are not college students and you're looking at me tonight saying, I, I'm wondering that right now. What is God's will for my life? I have been there many times. In fact, 
um, I've been in a season with my own art and um, music where I've really been wrestling with what God has for me for the next chapter and what it's supposed to look like. And I will tell you that I don't have time to share with you the things that God revealed to me in my preparation for this um, message, but I, I will tell you this in short, that I was in tears uh, preparing for this message because some things that I've really been wrestling with in regards to my own pursuits with music and stuff, I had some confirmation that I've been looking for for a long time. And I've been, um, I suppose I'll share it a little bit with you. I've been writing and recording music since I was 17, so it's been 12 years. And um, I've had a lot of opportunities seem to open up. Um, and there was a season of my life where a lot of doors were opening. I was getting to tour and travel and play music. And I know myself well enough to know that's like something I'm very passionate about. I really love traveling and playing music. It's, it's like I, I, I believe that's one of the things that God has really um, impressed on me that he wants me to continue to do. That's kind of a short version of some of the things. But um, there have been many seasons over the last 12 years or so where I've really wondered, like, am I, the music industry is tough. Um, and if you don't know, the Christian music industry can be even tougher. Um, and that's not me. You can talk to a lot of people who are in that industry and they'll tell you how competitive it is and how inflated it is with new content. And there's, it, trying to just like get your music out there is tough. Um, and it also takes a lot of money, which is something I don't have a lot of. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, you you could try to work with these really big producers who can help you, you know, have more success with your music and things, but they, they want a lot of money. And um, all that aside, those are details. I've really just been asking the Lord, Lord, what do you have? Because I, I don't want to keep pursuing this if it's not what you have for me. Um, and I've had many people over the last several years, people who I trust, who I know, know the Lord and, and love him and are serving him faithfully and are hearing from him. Uh, my wife being one of them, who have confirmed on multiple occasions, like, no, there's something that God has for you in this area and you need to just keep being faithful. And I've really had no idea what that is gonna look like. I still don't know to some degree, but I'll tell you that just from my heart to yours, it is, a, it is my greatest joy to get to, to be at this church. And on, I look forward genuinely to Sunday mornings. I know I told you I'm tired sometimes, but I really do, Sunday mornings are the highlight of my week. Getting to be here and sing with you and, and play music, I have gotten to a point in my adult life where I know without a shadow of a doubt that, that God created me to use music for his purpose. And there was, there's been many years of my life where I've really wondered, okay, am I supposed to do this? And the doubts and the insecurities and all the things. And so why do I, I bring that up? Well, I bring it up first to praise the Lord for his faithfulness and that he gives us clarity. And, uh, you know, for you, maybe there are things in your life that you know God has gifted you in and you've not really been walking in them. What, what is holding you back from, from walking in the purpose that God has ordained for you? Because if it's fear, it's not from the Lord. If it's doubt and insecurity, it's, it's not from him. And so I don't know if that's for anybody here tonight, but if you know that God has gifted you in an area and you're not walking in it and being obedient to it, start now. And, and you watch him work. Watch him use you in that way for his purposes, because that's the key. 
It's for his purposes. You can have all the abilities in the world, all the talents, but if you do not apply yourself, you will not be successful. And God, God cannot force you to work for his kingdom. He is looking for, the scripture says, willing servants. Willing servants. Are you a willing servant tonight? Or do you prefer to warm a seat in a church sanctuary once a week and then go home? Your servanthood unto Christ looks like more than just serving at a local church body, but that's an important aspect of it. I was in New York last week um, getting to travel and play music, and uh, the Lord opened up that opportunity, and it was so, so awesome. I got to go with my family, and um, it was just the greatest time. And it was, it was so good, good time of ministry. We watched God work through um, music. I had a guy come up to me. I released a song a year or two ago called Until My Voice Gives Out, and um, we haven't done much with the song. It's kind of, it's fine. It just, I, we had a baby and stuff. Life's been crazy, and I haven't really shared that song at many churches since I wrote it. Um, and there was a season where when we were playing all the time, every time I wrote a new song, I was getting to share it all over the place, and it was cool. But I haven't gotten to do that in a while. And after one of the sessions at the men's conference I was leading worship at, this guy came up to me and, um, you know, the short story, he just shared with me how the song touched his heart and, and how it ministered to him in the season that he's going through. And I remember just uh, being so thankful because I know the Lord gave me those lyrics and that music and to be on the other side of it and to be like, okay, if, if this song was just to minister to this one guy in New York, then, then it was worth it. It was worth all the time that went into producing it, all the time that went into writing it, all the time that went into the lyrics, everything. It was worth it if that one dude is ministered to through it. And that's, it's because of the goodness of God. And so, I guess that's what I'm trying to convey to you is that if you are not surrendered tonight, I believe that God has more for you and until you surrender, you will continue to miss out on the things that he has. You know, I think there's some key aspects in being a servant of God. Acts 26, 14 says, and when we had fallen to the ground, I heard of, uh, this, is, this is now Paul on the road to Damascus. I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, 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 who, Paul, who was Saul, writing this. Why are you persecuting me? And then uh, God says these famous words to him. Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? And I think about that scripture a lot because when we're fighting against God's will, it's always difficult. Sometimes he has difficulties we walk through in the midst of his will, but it's way worse to be fighting against his will. <laughs> I've experienced this. You've experienced it. When you are not walking in accordance with his will and his desires, it is difficult. And there's this underlying tension in your life as a believer because you know the things you should be doing and you're not doing them. And so he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Isn't it hard to kick against the goads? Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says this about being a servant. Paul to the church in Colossae, whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men. How many of us fall into this trap? 
Everything we do in the workplace, Monday through Friday, is to please our human boss. And we lose sight of the fact that we ultimately don't answer to anyone except Christ. So when you work and when you do things, do them as unto the Lord, not for men. Now, I'm not saying that you go into work on Monday morning and tell your boss, hey, just so you know, I ain't working for you. I would not suggest that approach. You will probably be unemployed a few minutes later. (laughs) He said, you're right. You're not working for me anymore. You can pack your things. I wouldn't say that. But what I am saying is that in your heart, you ought to know that your pursuits and everything that you put your hands to should be for the glory of God and ultimately for him and for him alone. Verse 24 of Colossians 3 says, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, we need to be surrendered. So two things when it comes to using the giftings that God has given you. Number one, are you surrendered? Are you surrendered? The second question, are you operating in the gifts that God has given to you? I heard a pastor say on a podcast a couple weeks ago, people who are walking and operating in the giftings that God has given them don't get burnt out. They get fatigued and they need rest, but they don't get burnt out. He said, you know who gets burnt out? People who are not operating in the giftings God has given them. So the other side of that is that giftings God has given you are where you should operate. It doesn't mean that now, here's the other side of this. There's, there's layers to this onion, okay? <laughs> that doesn't mean that on Sunday, somebody comes up to you and says, hey, we're short on parking lot, guys. Can you help in the parking lot? And you say, it's not my gifting, brother. No, <laughs> not what I'm saying. But here's what I am saying. Skill matters, and you should be desiring to operate in the giftings God has given you. Here's a good example of where skill matters in a worship leader. Would you agree? Come on, guys. You can say it. You want people up here that are skilled at what they do. I want people up here who are skilled at what they do. For the betterment of the whole church, it's best to put people up here singing who can actually sing. There's one of my favorite books is uh, Worship Matters by a guy named Bob Coughlin. He's been a worship leader for 50 years. He's been at one of the, I think he's been at the same church for a lot of that time, just super faithful to the local church body. And Bob Coughlin in his book says, skill matters. When David picked Hananiah to lead the people of Israel in singing, he picked him, the word says, because he was good at singing. (laughs) Profound stuff, right? In the same way, you would not want someone to come up here who is a terrible communicator and is terrified of public speaking and has no clue how to read and say, all right, you're teaching the sermon. Now, God can work in spite of that person. I believe that. He has to work in spite of any person that steps up here, regardless of the skills they may or may not possess. But it is good to operate in your giftings. So when you're thinking about how this applies to you tonight, I think there's two principles. Number one, the most important Are you living a life that is actually surrendered to Jesus or are you just going through the motions? And then the next thing is what are your giftings and are you walking in them? If you are good at something, it might very well be one of your giftings. Now there's obviously biblical guidelines to all of this stuff. So turn to scripture to make sure you're in accordance with God's will. That's what I was gonna say earlier and I forgot to say it. In college, everybody's always asking what is God's will for your life? God's will for your life is to be faithful. That's it. 
You don't have to have a 10-year plan. Just be faithful. That's what he wants. In fact, the only way we please our Lord is through faith. And so be faithful. You know, uh, this is one of my favorite commentators. This is uh, Philip Ryken and um, R. Kent Hughes. And uh, this section was just knocked my socks off as I was reading through it. And I could read you the whole thing, but it would take forever. So as you can see. um, So, but there's just a couple of things he said in here that I was like, man, oh my gosh, this is so good. So this is for maybe the artists in the room tonight and for those in the church body, so all of you. It says, and I could just resonate with this, but so this isn't a pity party. This is the guy wrote it, okay? I didn't write this. The life of an artist is especially hard at times. There is a difficulty to being an artist. Creating the art, executing it, and then the perfect design, it always is costly on personal terms to produce the work of art. And then once it's produced, it is often undervalued. We know this is true. Artists pour their heart and soul into their work, and oftentimes it's undervalued. He says, people fail to grasp the message or appreciate the artistry. To be an artist can be misunderstood. There's also an inescapable fact that most artists are underpaid. And so there's a reason they're called starving artists, right? Things uh, are even more difficult for Christian artists. Some churches do not consider art a serious way to serve God. Others deny that it is a legitimate calling at all. And as a result, Christian artists often have to justify their existence. I have experienced this in my life. People telling me, I had a teacher in high school who was a professed Christian. Who told, I told her I wanted to go into music as my ministry, and she laughed in my face and told me I needed to get an education. Uh, so anyway, I pray for her. <laughs> I'm just kidding, it's fine. Uh, Rather than providing a community of support, the church has often been guilty of surrounding artists with a climate of suspicion and criticism. I have seen this happen many times, not just with music, but with young, especially with younger people in the church. I have watched older people squander passions and desires because they don't get it. Be careful, be careful that you don't squander somebody's passions that the Lord may be stirring up inside of them for his purposes. And far be it from us to be discouragers, we are called to be encouragers. And so if you see a gifting in somebody, encourage them in that gifting. And in the same way, know the giftings that God has given you and then use them for his glory, amen? You know, this, Pastor Michael gave me this text because it had to do with art and I, I'm an artist, you know, and I, I really appreciated being able to study this passage and get to t- teach it tonight. It blessed my heart, and I will just tell you that um, I think that the message that you can take away from this really comes just down to the simple idea of being surrendered. Each one of us has been called by the Lord. So the question is not, do you have a calling from the Lord on your life? And we throw that word calling out a lot in Christian churches. And it's very tossed around in a vague manner. I guess another way you could say it is this. God has a purpose for each one of you, but your purpose isn't about you. It's more about him. And that's the key to being content in God's purposes for your life. Surrender now and understand out of the gate that God wants to use you for his kingdom. 
And so as he uses you in your purposes, it's, it's for his purpose. And I think that if, we, if more Christians understood that out of the gate, that God desires to be exalted through your life, and that's what it's really about, then there won't be this tension of being content. There will be instead a peace that surpasses understanding because you know that you're right where God wants you to be. But there are fundamental things that set that tone. And so I'll go back to this as my closing thing. If you're not applying yourself and you are not surrendered and you're not operating in your giftings, then don't be surprised when you are struggling because the root of our life and our faith in Jesus is surrender. And the gospel is backwards according to the world because there is freedom and new life and surrender. In the world of military and war, surrender means defeat. But in Christ's kingdom, to surrender is to, to see victory and to know real life, to be given a second chance. So use your giftings for God's purposes, for his purposes. Whatever that looks like, it's gonna look different. It doesn't mean that you're employed by a church per se. It doesn't mean that you're a pastor. It doesn't mean that you're any of those things particularly. Maybe, maybe. But in every area that God gives you opportunities to do good works, do them for his kingdom. I'll leave you with Hebrews 12.2. Looking to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. And he exemplified this to the fullest. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus was obedient and surrendered to the Father and look at what God did through his life. In the same way, you could look to all these, you know, maybe I, I, you, know, you compare yourself to Jesus, you're gonna be in big trouble, right? But look at all the men that God used in the Old Testament. Moses is a good example since that's right where we're at. Oheliab and Bezalel, these guys, these guys are sinful, broken men. And yet, when they surrender, look at what God does through their life. Just in our text in Exodus, God liberates the nation of Israel through the obedience of Moses. He's obedient to the, to the Father, and God uses his life for extraordinary purposes. Amen? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that you do indeed have a purpose for our lives. Uh, but Lord, we know that that purpose is far beyond what the world would want to describe as a purpose for our life. It is a heavenly purpose. It's for the building of your kingdom and for your glory. And so I just pray for each uh, soul here tonight, first and foremost, Lord, that they would surrender. Lord, that um, if there are those of us who have been wrestling with where our allegiances lie, we've been on the fence, we've been lukewarm, Lord, may we take your warnings in scripture about what it is to be lukewarm seriously. May we not be on the fence any longer. If there are those in this room tonight who have been on the fence and lukewarm, that, that means that they aren't really all in. They're not really committed. That tonight would be the night that they say, enough is enough. I'm going to pursue Christ with everything that I am. I will be imperfect. I will fail. But in his grace, I will pursue to glorify his kingdom. Lord, if there are those who are lukewarm, I pray that tonight would be the night that they would actually take that step to begin walking in your purposes for them. 
Lord, I pray for each soul tonight that uh, they would have clarity if they need clarity on direction for their life. Maybe there are those tonight who are stuck in some sort of a corporate job or um, some sort of job where they're dragging their feet day in and day out. Lord, I believe that there's a reason you have them there. Maybe you have them there and their attitude and their heart and the posture of their heart just needs to change and they'll have a new vision, a fresh vision for where they are. Or maybe, Lord, you are calling them out of that season. Give clarity tonight where clarity is needed. Lord, I pray that we would be sensitive to your leading, that Holy Spirit, we surrender to you, we need you, wouldn't be just songs we sing, but we would live a life of worship, a life surrendered, And then when we come into this place on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings, a life of worship yields an attitude of praise. May we not fall into the misunderstanding that we can just show up here once a week and start being a worshiper. No, Lord, we are a worshiper outside of this place. And then when we come here, praise is the natural overflow of a life surrendered, a life of worship. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that it is powerful. Thank you for speaking to us tonight, Father. We thank you that you continue to work in spite of us.